Um, all right, well, we just finished up a six-week journey on how to have the worst year ever. And uh, so if you follow that advice, you will likely have a terrible year. Um, but we also we did that to try to highlight some principles that if you put some of these things into your life, that these are biblical things that God will help elevate you in your life. And we should always be growing and changing. Well, uh, I'm, no, I'm done telling you how to have the worst year ever, okay? Uh, but if you, if you didn't catch any of that, you can always go to newlifeforkokomo.org. All of our messages are archived online there. And so if you have a commute to work, throw one on in the car and listen to it. Um, but today we're going to start... A, a new series that I plan to go for about five weeks, maybe six, because I'm really excited about it, because um, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite things. It's not golf. It's the Bible. And so this series, I've simply just, I'm just telling you, it's bring your own Bible. So I'm encouraged, if you forgot today, that's Okay. But every Sunday during this series, I want you to bring your own Bible. Um, and, and because I, I, we are going to be taking a journey through the Scripture together, uh, I, we will put Scripture references on the screen. Um, but I really want to encourage you to bring a physical Bible for the next several weeks because uh, I want to teach you how to use it. I want, I want to, to, to uh, for me, uh, yes, I, I read the Bible digitally. I have Bible study software on my computer with, with a whole library of books tied to it and, and things of that nature, but for, there is a something for me about flipping through the pages of my Bible where I, 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 I can see things that I've noted and underlined in the pages of my Bible. It's like an intimate experience. And so if you, if you do not have a Bible... Uh, there are Bibles in the, in the racks of the chairs in front of you, and if you do not have one, take the one from the seat in front of you, and it's yours. Write your name in it. It is your Bible. If, if you have a Bible, please leave that Bible for someone over the course of the next few years that may not have one. So, and and if it, truly, we mean this. Take it. Write your name in it. Commit to it. Uh, that is our gift to you from New Life Church. Um, so today... Um, I, I want to kind of start this, this off by just talking about Bible 101, like, like introduction to the Bible. Like, like, uh, like let's just pretend that, that maybe there's somebody here today. Let's just pretend that maybe we've never known what the Bible is. How would, you, how would we approach it uh, then? Um, well, the Bible continues to be one of the best-selling books the Bible has had more impact on lives worldwide than any other book in the history of the world. The Bible, get this, is either illegal or highly restricted in 52 countries around the world, unlike any other book. So there's no doubting the impact these writings have had throughout the history of humanity. Now, um, Years ago, I, I got myself a new Bible. This is it. You see me with it every Sunday morning. Um, I, 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 this, you know, one time I thought I lost my Bible. Uh, we were in the middle of a church plant. 
Uh, my wife and I and a team of people helped plant a new church, and we met in an elementary school every Sunday, so we had to set up and tear down. And, and one Sunday afternoon, uh, after we pulled the trailer back home and all this stuff, I thought to myself, I can't find my Bible. I have no idea what to do with my Bible. And, and so I cracked open the trailer. It's a 26-foot trailer with all of our gear in it. I start looking through stuff, and I'm like, I cannot find my Bible. And so finally the next day, I called the school principal, and I was like, hey, man, it's Devin. Uh, I think I left my Bible at the school. And he said, let me call you back. He calls me back. He says, hey, we got it. I was like, I'm coming right now. Like, like I did not want to lose that uh, because the personal journey that I've had, not just, like, like, I don't worship this, right? Like, we don't worship the physical Bible. We, sure, we honor it, yeah. But I have a personal journey with God through the Scriptures. It's the number one way he speaks to us is through his Word. And so for me, I mean, I know that I've had years of, of, of notes or underlining things in this Bible. And so, so that day when I got to my office after I, I found my Bible... I, I wrote um, in, the, in the inside cover of this Bible, and I, and I wrote that the notes and markings in this Bible represent a personal spiritual journey. To lose would be a tragedy. So if you find this book, make every attempt to return it, and then I include my contact information, which has been marked out a couple times to update where I am and what I'm doing to ensure that should I ever misplace uh, this Bible, it would find its way back to me. And uh, because it is, it is a personal journey that I've had with the Scripture. Um, but you know, church, we find, ourselves, we find ourselves in a world where truth seems to be relevant. So... Even common things that are said is, well, what's true for you isn't, may not be true for me. Um, but true is true. So I think we can all understand that uh, we, we, there's certain things we can't deny. We can't deny gravity. We can't deny old age. That there are, there are truths that are objective. But we find ourselves in a world where truth seems to be relevant. And... Um, and too many have been convinced that truth is something that lies within yourself. And so you have to have some kind of like self-discovery to find out what your truth is. Um, that, that, that's a popular statement amongst uh, some of like my generation and the generation coming up after mine is, is, is uh, this phrase, your truth. Know your truth. And... Um, so, so therefore, sometimes many are basing truth off of personal feelings. Um, they'll base truth off of popular opinion. And the problem with that is feelings fade and feelings change. So then truth can change. The problem with basing truth after, after popular opinion is that opinions begin to change and sometimes truth isn't popular but it's still true so in a culture where majority rules truth seems to be changing all of the time 
And so uh, how can we rely on something to be true in a world of fake? Like we live in a world of fake. Less and less people trust the things that they read, the things that they see. That everything is clickbait, everything is for attention and headlines are to, to grab and to change ratings. And so people will manipulate and twist and pervert uh, for the sake of personal gain. So less and less people believe. But we believe that the Bible is the source of truth. It never changes. It's always the same. And we believe that the Bible is from God. You know, our world has more information available to it than ever before in the history of humanity. Yet, our world knows not the truth. Everything is debated. Everything. Immorality is encouraged. And people of our world are full of information, but void of truth. So our world needs less internet searches, and we need more of an encounter with the spirit of truth. For when they know the truth, the truth will, help me, will set them free. So we know that the Word of God leads us to truth. And we know that what the Bible leads us to is Jesus. Because He is the truth. He is the fulfillment of what Scripture says. So I, I, what, I, what I really believe from, what I, from my own observations is that our world is hungry for truth. They're hungry for it. That when, when divisive things come up, um, everybody is trying to become a subject matter expert on whatever the hot topic is at the time. Because people are hungry to know truth. People are hungry to give their lives for something. You know, I always used to tell young people as a youth pastor that if what you're living for isn't worth dying for, it's not worth living for. And more and more, people are, are connecting themselves to causes because everybody ultimately wants something to believe in enough that they, would, that they would sacrifice for it. They would give their life for it. So, and so we, we, we end up with a world full of activists because they're all looking for something to believe in. So our world is hungry for truth, and, and many are trying to find it in every new kind of trend in their search. And the Bible has to be foundational to the faith of a follower of Jesus. There is an attack on, on the Bible, but that's nothing new. Like, there's always been one. Um, but I would say that the attack on the Bible is changing. That even in, um, in churches, even from other pastors and church leaders... They are beginning to say, well, the Bible is a human book that tells stories about God. And, and I, 
And that be, starts to become very dangerous when we begin to dilute the authoritative, inspired Word of God. And so this is why every year in my preaching calendar, I try to take some time to either, if it's just a week or two or a whole series, to talk about the Bible. That, that, that should someone you know, be a part of our church for, from now until years to come, that there will be a consistent uh, message that really uh, grounds us to the Scripture. Because this is more than just trying to follow things I say. We're, we're all trying to follow Jesus, the Word of God. He is the truth. So, so what, is, what is the Bible? And if I, this is, I, if I just put it in my own words, um, uh, I don't have my screen up there today, so it's okay. I'm going to look over there or look here. But if I were to put it in my own words, the Scriptures of the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, uh, the word testament means Another word is, is covenant. They're both old and new covenant. They are inspired of God. The word inspired means to breathe life into. Um, just like when you open up your fridge and you find that the cheese has expired. Um, it, has, it has lived its life, right? Uh, to, to expire would be to breathe your last breath. But God has breathed life into scripture so they are inspired of god and the scriptures is revelation of god to man in other words that god reveals himself through the scripture that the scriptures are infallible but listen authoritative authoritative rule of faith and conduct that's what we believe now um, I, w- I will tell you that, that God did not write the Bible. He did not pick up a pen and write this, this, this Bible. But there are authors of each book of this Bible, many authors, that were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And even each book takes on its own uh, literary uh, format even their own style from the author, say things in different ways, give accounts from a different point of view. But yet, God looked upon it and said, that is so good, that that speaks to my character and reveals me that I'm going to breathe life into it. And we have the holy, anointed uh, scriptures. Here's a few things about the Bible. Again, Bible 101, let's pretend that we know nothing about the Bible. How do we approach it? Well, well, one, the Bible is a collection of 60 books. So uh, that's why we say, you know, turn to the book of Matthew, turn to the book of Isaiah. It is a collection of 60 books. The books of the Bible are not in complete chronological order. Um, You can actually buy a study Bible called the chronological bible where it orders all of the scripture chronologically so you can it's like in order of events Um, actually uh, what most scholars agree is that the oldest book of the bible is the book of job it's likely uh, the oldest book 
Um, uh, each book, it's important to note, was later organized into chapters and verses. Because eventually, uh, it, it, just, it was a, a great way to help organize the Scripture. So now we can say, you know, John 3.16, or, you know, Romans 3.10, Romans 5.8. You know, it's referring to chapter and verse. It was a way to organize it. But uh, the reason why I, I note that for the reason of Bible study is sometimes chapter and verse can get in the way of really uh, understanding, interpreting Scripture because man put chapter and verse there. So sometimes we reach the end of a chapter and we think that the, the thought has been complete. But if sometimes when you read through the chapter markings, the, the thought that is the author intended continues to like, like be revealed. So that's why I, I noted that. Uh, there are two sections in the Bible. We call it the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is older. The New Testament is newer. Okay. The beginning of the New Testament uh, begins with these what we call the four Gospels that all... Uh, are accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. So the New Testament has everything to do with Jesus and after. Are you asking me a question? 66 books. I have a typo. 66 books. You're right. People are freaking out. Does that say 60? It does. That's a typo. Like I said, you're not here to follow the infallible word of your pastor. (laughs) Thank you. 66 books. People are going to say, my pastor's subtracting from the Bible. He's taking stuff out. (laughs) Does that say 60? Someone's got my back back there. (laughs) There is an Old and New Testament. I know that. I couldn't tell if you were like shouting me down, (laughs) waving hankies. No, just correcting me. That's all. We all need it. Uh, Well, we do have the Bible in print. We have the Bible in digital form, um, but all of it has been interpreted from original manuscripts. So if you're like, well, where did this, where did this even come from? Like, how did we, how did we get it? Well, it all, it all came from original manuscripts where scribes would cop, copy, make copies of the Bible written by hand over the course of centuries, thousands of years. Um, until we have what we have today. Now, the original scripture was not written in English or Espanol. The original scriptures were written in Greek and Hebrew, some Aramaic. And so what we have today is, is translations. There's many translations of the Bible. There's different kinds of translations. We can get into that where, where some are like, uh, they translate ideas. Some translations are trying to translate 
word by word from the original language. And that's how we get what we have today and why we have so many translations. So some people look at that and say, we have all these different translations, so how do we know that they're all the same? Well, they're all coming from original manuscripts. And um, um, so, so, what, so people might have asked me, well, what's the best translation? And I always tell them, the one you'll read. Like for me, when I pick up a, a, a good old KJV, uh, I just struggle. I just like, I even struggle to understand it. Because like it's not, that the old English isn't, I'm not familiar with it. So like I would tell you the best translation is the one you actually read. Um, there is a, a, a Bible called the Message. The Bible, the, the Message Bible is not a translation. It's called a paraphrase. And so um, it's not verse by verse or word for word. And so the Message Bible is not a Bible that I study, but it is a fun uh, tool to kind of read large portions of Scripture and get a zoomed out perspective. Um, so I, I, I'm not like anti the message, but I, all I would tell you is it's not a translation. So we can't do Bible study from the message, but it is, it is an interesting perspective. Um, okay, so, so we get what we have today from original manuscripts. And the biggest question people ask is, how do we know if the Bible is reliable? Like, uh, because maybe you've played the game called telephone in elementary school, you know, where the teacher says, you know, whispers in the ear of the first person, I went to the store and bought tomatoes. And then that student turns to the next person and whispers, I went to the store and bought tomatoes. And by the time he gets to the end of the line, someone's like, says something completely different. Um, and, and so sometimes that's people's point. How do we know that, that these original manuscripts, how do we know that the Bible is reliable? How do we know that what we have today is for sure what the authors wrote? And I think that's a really good question because if we're going to say the Bible is a, has this, this authoritative uh, truth, we have to know that it's reliable, right? Well, there is a process by which scholars... Uh, evaluate the, the validity of manuscripts. And so the reliability of ancient manuscripts, whether it's a religious um, ancient manuscript or if it is simply, or, or if it is a secular ancient manuscript, um, scholars typically look at them all the same way. Now I think we shared this over a year ago probably, but, but it's really worth noting again in case you don't remember or in case you're, you're new to this. Um, when we look at the reliability of ancient manuscripts, there's three main questions that we ask. And again, this is, these are the same questions we'll ask of the Bible, same questions we'll ask of any ancient manuscript, religious or not. The first question is, how many manuscripts are there? Um, because if you can imagine, if uh, there was four copies of a letter I wrote, and each copy is missing a different word, we can use all four copies and still come up with what I originally said. Does that make sense? So the more copies there are, the, 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 the better that we can uh, form one reliable manuscript. The second question is, who wrote them and why? That's important because to, to understand their motivation of why they wrote what they wrote. Like, was the author, like... Uh, genuine and authentic in why they were writing. The third is, what's the date of the earliest copy 
compared to the original time? Okay, so these are three main questions that can be asked to establish the reliability of a manuscript. Now, I will tell you that in schools and in universities, that there are textbooks full of world history. Uh, Who remembers taking a world history class in high school or college? Uh, Some people love history. Some people just get it done, right? Um, But in our schools and universities, we have textbooks full and full of world history. World history that none of us were there to witness. World history before the internet. Things of that nature. Now, where did all the information in these textbooks come from? Have you ever wondered that? Like, where did all this information about Rome and Caesar, where did all this information come from that we have in our textbooks? Again, these are textbooks that nobody questions the validity of, the reliability of these, these textbooks in schools and universities. Uh, none of us were there to witness it. No one in ancient history did us the favor of posting content to YouTube. So how do we know? How do we have what we have in ancient in our world history books? Well, um, but even in ancient history, there were historians. Uh, these historians were people who would write things down. They would record events of their day. And uh, there were only a few, there are really only a few sources by which make, that we get most of our world history from. So all of those textbooks you've seen in schools and universities, most of that information has come from only a few sources. And we'll take a look at two of those sources today. The first source um, is called the Gallic Wars. And the Gallic Wars is a commentary on wars fought by Caesar and, uh, and, and that we have copies of to this day. And a lot of world history comes from these writings called the Gallic Wars. Another source of world history is, is uh, from the writings of Tacitus. Tacitus wrote 30 volumes of Roman history in ancient times. Um, these two sources produce so much of our world history in our textbooks. Um, they're, they're taught in schools and universities, but how reliable are they? And, uh, well, nobody questions the reliability of our world history books. But when we take the Gallic Wars and the writings of Tacitus and compare it to those three questions that we asked that all scholars use to measure the reliability of manuscripts, how do they measure up? Well, let's take a look. First, how many available manuscripts are there? Well, there are ten, there are ten copies of the Gallic Wars. And when I say copies, I'm talking about manuscripts. These are handwritten copies from ancient times. So we have 10 copies of Gallic Wars. And we have two copies of Tacitus' writings. Okay? And again, nobody questions the the reliability of these writings. Our world history books are full of information that come from these sources. Remember, okay, now the second question was who wrote them and why? Who wrote them and why? Well, the Gallic Wars was written by one man who was hired by Caesar to write about Caesar. So if the most powerful man in the empire hires you to write history about himself, be careful. Because he's killed men for less than making uh, him look to be like a bad guy. 
The writings of Tacitus was also written by one man under the dictatorship of Rome. And so when you write 30 volumes of your empire's history by yourself under that empire's dictatorship, be very careful of what you write. Okay? But again, we, the reliability of these manuscripts are not, not questioned. Okay, the third question is, what is the date of the earliest copy compared to the original? Uh, well, the Gallic Wars got Gallic Wars. The earliest manuscript is 900 years after the original. Uh, Tacitus' writing, the earliest manuscript we have, is also 900 years after the original. Now, again, the reliability of these ancient manuscripts are not questioned. We accept them as truth. We teach them in schools and universities. And, uh, and a lot of the information is based off of these documents. Am I boring you? I hope I'm not boring you. Okay. So I know what you're wondering. I'm wondering it too. How does the Bible, how does the Bible match up to these three questions that we've used against these other ancient manuscripts by where we get all of our world history? How does the Bible line up? Let's take a look. So how many manuscripts do we have? Well, of the Bible, we have over 25,000 manuscripts. The more manuscripts you have, the better you can restore it to the pure text. Do you remember how many the Gallic Wars had? Ten. Tacitus' work? Two. We don't question it. It's reliable. The Bible, we have over 25,000 manuscripts. There are 5,000 manuscripts of the New Testament alone. All have a difference of one in one thousandth. The only difference in these 5,000 manuscripts is in punctuation alone. The content and meaning of these manuscripts that we get our Bible from are identical. Okay, well, who wrote them and why? Well, we know who wrote Gallic Wars and Tacitus' writings and why. Well, who wrote the Bible and why? Well, many authors. Our other two manuscripts were both written by a single author. The Bible has many authors, which, which really uh, is a miracle in itself when when you use Scripture to help interpret Scripture, how it all flows together in great unity. So there's many authors. The four writers of the Gospels, they ended up giving their lives for what they saw. Change what you said or die, I'll die. That was the response of authors of Scripture. Even the prophets of Old Testament, many were killed for what they spoke as they spoke, as God enabled them. The third question was, what's the date of the earliest copy compared to the original? Well, in the Bible, the earliest copy of the New Testament that we have is from 135 A.D. This was, and Jesus lived to be 33 years old. So let's say that the earliest copy of the New Testament we have is only 100 years removed from the life of Jesus. Uh, which means that in some cases you may be able to find a grandparent or great-grandparent who could 
substantiate the claims of that document at that time. There was another great finding in 1947. I'd ask for a show of hands as to who was around in 1947. But there are, there are several. I'm not asking. You're, you're voluntarily showing, just so you know. There, there, okay, we, there's people in the room that were alive in 1947. So was I. In 1947, uh, there were shepherds. This is a true story. You can, you can look up all of this information. In 1947, there were shepherds in the Judean desert, and they were searching caves looking for hidden treasure. Uh, I'm sure as you do when you are a shepherd uh, out there with nothing to do. One shepherd boy throws a rock into a cave. That rock falls deep down into the cave until they heard clay pots shatter. And they thought they struck gold. So they take the shepherd boy and they lower him down into this cave. And what they discovered in that cave and in 10 surrounding caves was 901 ancient documents. They discovered this in 1947. So archaeologists, they go and they search these caves and they, they unearth all of these 900 ancient manuscripts. You know what they found? In these caves, in 1947, 220 copies of books from the Old Testament, having fragments of every single book of the Old Testament except Esther. The most significant discovery in these caves in 1947 was what we called the Great Isaiah Scroll. The Great Isaiah Scroll when unraveled, is 25 feet in length. At that time, before before the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, the earliest copy we had of Isaiah dated 1100 A.D. So, A.D. But the scroll, this great Isaiah scroll found in the Dead Sea Scrolls was dated 100 B.C., so in 1947, we then be, we came into uh, we had in our in our possession two copies of the book of Isaiah, 1,000 years apart. What do you think they were asking themselves? I wonder if they say the same thing. 1,000 years apart. So scholars began to pour over both copies 1,000 years apart. How accurate were they? They determined that these two documents, 1,000 years apart, are 95% accurate. The only variance was in spelling and grammar, not meaning, not in content. So with all the manuscripts that we have of the Old and New Testament, listen, we can be confident that the Bible you hold in your hand today is what was written all those years ago. It's nothing short of a miracle. 
So, throughout the reason why I want you to bring your Bible is because each week I want to dive into Scripture together. And throughout the coming weeks, I, I, I want to I give you some tools, some things that, that you know, we, we call hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the art of, of, uh, in, in science of interpreting Scripture. So we're going to look at some hermeneutical things. We're going we're gonna to see how the Old and New Testament flow together. And ultimately, I just want to inspire you to get into your Bible. So turn with me. Oh, yeah. Remember when we used to say that in church? Or how about turn with me to two scriptures? Put your finger in this one and turn to this one. Okay, yeah. But first, let me ask you something that my pastor asked me every Sunday, asked our whole church every Sunday before we got into the Word. He said, who's got their Bible? And you hold it up. Okay. So if you've got your Bible today, turn with me to Psalm 119. If you're grabbing a Bible from the, the, the rack in the chair in front of you, turn to page 420 in the orange Bible in your seat. If not, Psalm 119. You'll find Psalm kind of right smack in the middle of your Bible. We're going to read Psalm 119. I will tell you that Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, so buckle up. We're not going to read the whole thing. I'm not going to keep you here that long. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. The reason I, I chose Psalm 119, specifically portions of it today, is because uh, the psalmist, as he's writing Psalm 119, he continues to reflect on the Word. You'll hear him say things like statues, precepts, laws. He's referring to the Word of God and you're going to hear his love for the Word of God in this text. Now, I'm not planning on doing a whole lot more talking, but a whole lot more reading. So, if you're ready, we're in Psalm 119, verse 1. I'm reading from the NIV. It says, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord, Blessed are those who keep his statues. Remember, when you hear those words, statues, law, uh, think of keeping his word. And seek him with all their heart. Verse 3, they do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. Verse 9. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I will seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices 
in great riches. Did you catch that? Verse 14 again. I rejoice in following your statues. I rejoice in following the scriptures as one who would rejoice in hitting the lottery. That was the demonstration. See what I said? The demonstration. Okay. Verse 15. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Be good to your servant while I live, that I may obey your word. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I am a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. You rebuke the arrogant who are uh, accursed, those who stray from your commands. Remove me from their scorn and contempt, for I keep your statues. Though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. Your statues are my delight. They are my counselors. Verse 25. I laid, I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I gave an account of all of my ways and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Again, there's, we continue here with this. Cause me to understand the way of your precepts, that I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me and keep me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. Verse 32. I run in the path of your commandments, of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. Because that's what the word of God will do. It will broaden your understanding. 33. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees that I I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart towards your statues and not towards selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that I may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts and your righteousness preserve my life. You hear a lot of continued concepts in the psalmist as he writes. You hear his heart to only follow the word of God. You hear time and time again his desire to obey then what the word of God says. And that in doing so, he would be protected. In doing so, he would be blessed. In doing so, he would uh, escape shame. And he would live a righteous life. 
Now, now let's skip a little forward here and go to verse 97, same chapter, Psalm 119, verse 97. I don't know the page number in your orange Bible if you have it, but you'll find it. Verse 97. The psalmist, he's continuing to write about his love for God's word. Verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. Can you imagine someone saying that? If they're you know, sitting before a judge, like, does the defendant have anything to say for himself? Yes, Your Honor. I love your law. Huh. I will say that God is a good judge. Right? He is, he is holy, He is love, and He is just. Too many Christians, when they think of God as judge, they think of Him as the judge that condemns them. But the same judge that does condemn people to whatever their sentence is, is also the same judge that declares freedom for people, that justifies people. And so, our God, through Jesus, has justified all of us, declared us free, and declared that there be no penalty for our sin if we're found in Jesus. And when, when I look at a judge like that, I say, I love your law. This is good stuff. He says, I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. Who needs some of this in your life right now? You need to be wiser than your enemies. Verse 99, I have more insight than all my teachers. For why? For I meditate on your statues. Verse 100, I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. And how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. I will tell you, a commitment to the word of God puts you on a better path. When you are committed to, and your understanding begins to grow through the word of God, wrong paths, you'll, you'll be, you'll be uh, sickened by the idea of violating your relationship with God for the sake of a wrong path. And so the more that we are in God's word and we hide it in our hearts and we, we have such honor for it, then, we, then the areas of sin in our life begin to just repulse us. I can't understand it from your, from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Verse 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light on my path. And that is what I want to encourage you with today. Hearing the words of this psalmist as he talks about God's word, his statues, his decrees, how it leads to the best life. 
Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. It's very likely. Not all the Psalms are written by David. And so, when you think about the word of God being a, a, a lamp unto your feet and a light for your path, I would say that the word of God helps you see what your very next step is. It's a lamp unto your feet, and it's a light for your path. And it gives you vision for tomorrow, vision and hope for a future. But it has to burn bright to do that. So if you were to evaluate the Word of God in your life, would you liken the Word of God to your life as a single match lit? lit, And the light that a match gives off. Or would you liken it to maybe a flashlight that, that you can see only very, very kind of narrow vision? Or is it a lamp for your feet and a light for your path? Like a floodlight when you turn that thing on. It looks like daytime. Whatever it is, the light will grow within you as you commit and obey and follow his word. And so I commit to you as your pastor that we want everything to come back to the word of God. Not the word of me. Not the word of you. The word of God. And so my, my, my goal is for the next several weeks, you bring your Bible. If you're not, we have one for you. And let's take a journey through the Scripture. I know many times we may, we, we may go through a portion of Scripture that I'll teach through. It's called expository preaching. We kind of go verse by verse through a section. I do a lot of expository teaching. Or sometimes it may be more topical, like our last series. But let's just get in and let's just, like, let's just read chunks of it together. And discover that you can have a personal, devotional life with God. It's going to be awesome. Uh, and, 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 and I think it would be a sin for this to be boring. So I don't want to be boring, but I want to help you, okay? So let's all stand together this morning. I hope this is helping you, inspiring you. Thank you, Lord. God, we just, uh, we just take kind of an evaluation of how we're doing. How, how bright is your word burning within us? Lord, after hearing the words of this, this psalmist who wrote about your precepts and laws and decrees and words and his yearning to obey it, to to be on the right path to, to keep himself pure. Lord, I just, man, may, God, may we be motivated by the words of Psalm 119 today to have a new commitment to following your word, obeying your word, knowing your word, being committed to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we dismiss, I want to read you this one thing uh, from the center of of Bible engagement research. They, after research, they determined that a lack of spiritual engagement produces several consequences. Disengagement from God's Word has left American believers ignorant of basic Bible facts and truths. 
vulnerable then to false teachings and in many cases spiritual immaturities. They said our research has demonstrated those who read the Bible at least four times a week are exponentially less likely, not just less likely, exponentially less likely to engage in behaviors like pornography, getting drunk, sex outside of marriage, and the list goes on. In summary, these analyses confirm what the Center of Bible Engagement Research, initial research with Christ followers revealed, a powerful relationship between engaging Scripture four times a week and moral behavior. There's something to it. That when you devour the Word of God, it leads you to the right path and repels you from the wrong ones. I bless you to know that you have a God who is gracious, he's a good judge. I bless you to know that God reveals himself to you through his word. And I pray that you have a new hunger and thirst for engaging the scriptures in your personal life that we be on a path of righteousness, godliness that leads to the best life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bring your Bibles next Sunday. Have a great week. Hey, New Life Church, thank you so much for joining us today. If this is your first time joining us and you'd like to learn a little bit more about New Life Church, you can text the word CONNECT to the number 765-347-9127. Again, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope to see you guys next time.